The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. I don't know if you caught this, but before I read our text for today, but today is a big day in the life of the church, our church. I don't know if you could feel the excitements, okay, but, but we... Yes, uh, we have been in a, a series on the book of Philippians called The Rebel's Anthem, and we're, we're four weeks in, and today, we turn the page, today we go from chapter one to chapter two. We excited, right? You know, it's a great day to be young, alive, in a Mustang. Go north. That's what my football coach would say if he were here. It's good. It's exciting. And so chapter two in the book of Philippians, uh, in particular, our text for today, if, if we were to think of the, the Bible as a mountain range, Chapter 2 of Philippians, and in particular, verses 6 through 11, what we're going to be focusing on for a lot of today, uh, would would be a peak in this mountain range. This is an incredible text. It's an incredibly important text for us in terms of how we understand who Jesus is and and what he's done for us and how that all uh, fits together. And so I I say all of that uh, in hopes that, uh, you know, you wore your comfy pants to church this morning because it could be a long one, all right? Um, And I've named this message The Rebel. The Rebel, and I don't know if you've caught this, but because our series is um, called A Rebel's Anthem, my my goal has been to title each of the messages after a song that has the word rebel in it. And so the last two weeks have have been uh, titled after Bob Marley songs. The first one was Soul Rebel. Last week was Rebel's Hop. Uh, But I didn't mention last week that it was titled after a Bob Marley song because the first week we had a title of Bob Marley song. I asked if any of you have heard of it. We got nothing but blank stares, right? And so, so the next morning, or the next day, actually, we had our staff meeting, and uh, we debrief worship, and we go over, all right, well, what do we need to improve on? What do we need to work on? And, and we got to the message, and, uh, and Sandy says to me, she goes, so that Bob Marley thing really flopped, huh? Uh, so, so, so I've decided, uh, you know, we're going to cater to this audience perhaps a little bit more uh, with the title. The, the Rebel is actually a shortened title for the song, The Rebel Johnny Yuma. Has anyone heard of that song? Yes, all right, three people. Now we're, we're growing. Well, next week the song is, is, a, is a Rage Against the Machine song, so hopefully that expands our group. I don't know. Uh, it seemed like a, a tough, <laughs> tough uh, political rock group here. Um, anyways, uh, and so the, the Rebel Johnny Yuma, it's by Johnny Cash, and it was actually a theme song for a TV show called The Rebel. And uh, this TV show is about this guy who's, who's a rebel who roams around the American Southwest and in particular spends a large amount of time actually in West Texas and in, and in the hill country of Texas. And he goes around and he, he fights injustice. Any injustice he sees, he sort of does. And, and he unwrites every wrong that, or he writes every wrong that he sees. And so I've titled this, this message, The Rebel Today, because as we consider this series a rebel's anthem, the truth is, is Jesus is the rebel in this sense, right? He's the one who's going to, to ultimately bring about justice. He's the one who's going to ultimately right every wrong. And so our text today really focuses us on who Jesus is. But as we do that, as we look at Jesus in our text for today, what's going to happen is there's three virtues that sort of rise to the top. Uh, unity, humility, and love. And so we'll be digging into each of those, but we'll see that when we look at unity, humility, and love, they all end up sort of mixing together. And so let's get started. We're going to start with unity. So if y'all would look with me at verses uh, 1 to 2 in our text for today. It says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And so these verses show us that, that Paul is, is trying to get something across, and it's pretty clear. He wants the church to be united. 
He wants the church to be united, right? And so let's just take a step back, though, how that all works. He says, first of all, if there's any encouragement from Christ, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and the, the, the Greek there is uh, parakaleo, all right? And so para, it's two words put together. Para is to, to come alongside of, and kaleo is to call or to speak. And so he says, if, there's, if, if Jesus has ever come alongside and spoken to you, if Jesus has come alongside and spoken to you, that's, that's encouragement. Have you been encouraged by him? And then he says, is there any comfort in love? And the word for comfort there is, is paramuthion. And para, once again, come alongside of. Muthion is, is closeness, closeness. And so he's saying, have you ever felt God come alongside in, in love, in, in intimacy, in a closeness? Have you ever felt God near you? Have you ever experienced God's nearness? And then finally he says, have you found fellowship? Have you found affection? Have you found sympathy in the Holy Spirit? in the spirit of God. And so that's what he's asking the Philippians. And and let me ask you all, let me ask you the same question he's asking them. Have you ever found encouragement in Christ? Yeah, you have. Okay, excellent. Have, Have you ever experienced closeness and intimacy with God? Yeah, that ever happened? Okay, good. Has, has the spirit of God ever worked affection and sympathy in you? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Good. And so Paul says, well, if you've experienced any of that, if you've experienced any of the goodness of God, any of the gospel, if that's touched you in any way, Paul says, you will make my day, you will complete my joy. If you close yourself off, don't let anyone else in and just make it a personal thing between you and God. Keep it really private. Is that what he says? No, he says, you'll make my joy complete by being of one mind, by having the same love, by by being united together, being in full accord. You see, if you've personally experienced any of the goodness of God, the the proper response to that is to be united with your brothers and sisters in the church. If you've experienced any of the goodness of God, the proper response is to be united with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, have the same mind. And the word for mind there is, is phronesis. And it's not just about intellectual assent. It's about a mindset. It's about a way of approaching the world. He says, have the same way of approaching the world as your brothers and sisters in Christ do. And he says, have the same love. Love God, love people, be with people united in that same love. And then he says, finally, be of one accord. And I love this. The word there is actually two words put together. It's samsakoi. And the first word, the root is soon, which means together with. And sakoi, the root is sake, and the root is, uh, is, is spirit or soul, is soul. And so he's saying, have your souls together. Have your souls together as the church. And so what's the text saying here? saying, if you've ever experienced the goodness of God, if the gospel has touched you in any way, do everything you can then to be united to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be united in your mindset. Be united in your love. And finally, be be united in your souls. Have your souls mixed together. And I I didn't go through all the Greek there to to just flex some knowledge or to prove that my undergrad degree wasn't completely useless. I, I did it because I want you to see how insistent Paul is that the church is united. The tremendous amount of weight he places on the church being united. And why does he do that? He does that because I think he knows that arguably the hardest thing for the church to do is be united. It's probably the hardest thing for the church to do. I mean, think about it just on a global scale. How many denominations are there? Thousands, literally thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of denominations across the globe. Now, there's not a lot we can do about that here in this gym. 
So let's just think about it like this. How hard is it for even just one congregation to stay united? It's hard. And some of you have even experienced that firsthand, how hard it is for a congregation to stay united. Now, fortunately for us, we're, we're at a stage in our church's life where I think we're all just so excited that we're alive um, and, and like not falling apart. Uh, that that I, unity, I think, is coming relatively naturally. I hope I'm not alone in feeling that, but, but I think that that's, that's a wonderful thing, and I think we, we are a very united church. But my question I want to wrestle with early on here is, is how do we stay united? How, how do we keep that unity up? Because what happens to churches over the years, all the time this happens, is that instead of everyone being in mission together, having the same mind, having the same love, having their souls intermingled, instead over time, if you're lucky, what happens, if you're lucky, you get 20% of the people who do 100% of the work of the church. If you're lucky, you get 20% of the people who pay 100% of the bills. And see, that's not biblical. (laughs) That's not what we're called to do. Scripture says, listen, if you've tasted of the gospel at all, it's 100% of the people doing 100% of the work. That that's how it works. And so that's why, you know, the last two weeks, I'm pretty unapologetic about asking people to pledge to give to our church right now. Because God doesn't need the money. I don't need the money. The gospel doesn't need the money. But to give is an expression of unity. When you give, you're saying, listen, I'm on board with this mission. I'm on board with these people right here in this place. This is actually important, and I'm a part of it. That's what it's saying. And that's incredibly important. It's not about money, it's about unity. And listen, I know we have a lot of new families here, and we have people that are sort of testing the water, and that's fine. And so I hope you hear, you're welcome. You don't have to give. We love you. You're welcome as long as you need to be. Um, But I just want everyone to know where we're going That as a church, we need to intentionally build a culture of unity. We need to intentionally build a culture of unity. Because the reality is we live in a world that's overly individualistic, right? We live in a world in which the individual is raised high above the community. The individual is exalted at the expense of unity, at the expense of community. And we're rebelling against that. We're saying as a church, we're going to be intentional in building a culture of unity. And so part of that happens through giving. And part of that happens through serving on Sunday mornings. And so in a couple of weeks, we'll have an opportunity for people who've said, you know, I'd really like to help out. It takes 20 volunteers for us to uh, get a Sunday going between slides and sound and set up and tear down and nursery and kids, 20 volunteers. And you've said, man, I'd really like to help out. We're gonna have opportunities to do that. It brings together unity. And of course, serving in our community. If, if you haven't signed up to be part of a sending community, I wanna encourage you to do that. That's how we, we, we grow together. That's how we build a culture of unity. And of course, we we build a culture of unity uh, through reading God's word together. I've encouraged you all throughout this series uh, to read through the book of Philippians with us as a church. And I haven't reminded you of it, so my apologies, but here's your reminder. Uh, Read read through the the book of Philippians with us. Just this last week, actually, I was talking to a young man who's part of our church, and he said, you know, Gabe, uh, I was was reading through Philippians yesterday, and I have no idea what he said after that, because I was just so stinking excited that he said he was reading through. I was like... High five, you know, like I was driving, pull the car over, give him a chest bump. And, uh, and so we're really excited, right? But the point here for us and the point of this text is, is if you've tasted of God's grace at all, then the, the, then the proper response is to be united with your brothers and sisters. That's the right response. If you've tasted of God's grace at all. Now I mentioned that our, our culture has a tendency to elevate the individual at the expense of the community. Religious communities, churches, 
have the other side of that coin that they fall into, and they'll elevate the community at the expense of the individual. And that's not right either. And so it's very important that as we pursue unity as a church, we keep verses three and four in mind. If y'all would look with me at verses three and four. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so Paul says that the way towards healthy unity is healthy humility. Humility leads to unity, and of course the converse is true. Right? A lack of humility will absolutely destroy unity. Right? That's what this text is saying. Don't just look out for yourself, but look out for the interests of others. A lack of humility destroys unity. And we see this all around us, right? Just this last week after the the NFC Championship game, Jossie Richard Sherman, uh, his interview, right? So he's the cornerback for the the Seattle Seahawks, and they they interviewed him, and and he just went off. Super arrogant. Talked about how he was the, the best cornerback in the league. Talked about how great he was. Insulted his opponent. Now, Seattle fans are still going to be Seattle fans, but those of us that are sitting on the middle, do you think we want to rally around Richard Sherman? Think we really want to support someone like that? I don't think so. There's a, a meme, internet meme that was one of my favorites. Matt, if you'd pull it up. Uh, where, this is him, and it says, uh, if you can read it, it says, I just made you a Broncos fan. Um, and right, and, and that's what happens. And I know we apologize, and you know, we all make mistakes. I'm not picking on him, uh, because the reality is it's not just professional sports but we see this in our own lives, right? right? What, what causes division amongst you and your coworkers? Is it not when someone props himself up at the expense of everyone else? Is it not when someone elevates their own status and looks down on everybody else? Doesn't that cause division? Or what causes division in your family? Is it not a lack of humility? Is it not saying, I'm right, you're wrong? It's not saying, I want to do what I want to do, not what you want to do, because I'm more important. Isn't it a lack of humility that causes division in our families too? Uh, this happened to Melissa and I this last week. Uh, Wednesday, we both got this just gnarly stomach bug. Um, I'll spare you the details. And we, uh, you know, and so we had nothing else to do. So we're like, well, let's, let's rent a movie from Redbox. And so she wanted to watch Great Gatsby and I wanted to watch World War Z. Guess what movie we watched? Great Gatsby, right? We watched Great Gatsby, but not not without me raising a big stink about how we don't do what I want and how I don't have time for me and blah, 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 blah. Now, I know a story about a petty argument like that is really hard for a lot of you to relate to because it never happened. Um, But is that not true? That a lack of humility creates or destroys unity. A lack of humility destroys unity. And so Paul says to us, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. And if you're like me, man, you read that text and you think like, like that's a tall order. How, how could I ever become that humble? Unfortunately, our text actually tells us how to do that. Look with me at the next verse. Verse five, it says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what's it saying there? How do you gain that level of humility? How do you gain this incredible depth of humility? You get the mind of Christ. You get the mindset of Christ. You say, well, how does that work? How on earth do I get the mindset of Christ? And then how does that even bring about humility? How does that all work? Well, look with me at verses six through eight. 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now, this set of verses in the original Greek, and and perhaps in some of your Bibles, it wasn't in mine, which is why I'm saying this, is, is actually structured poetically. And uh, most scholars agree that this section of verses is actually not original to Paul, but he's referencing an ancient hymn of the church, an ancient, ancient song of the church that, that taught the people who Jesus was, how he worked, how all that came together. And so it's, it's through this song that we see who Jesus is, and, and it's to give us proper cause and to give the Philippian church proper cause for humility. And so let's break it down. So the song starts off by saying, Jesus, even though he was in the form of God, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So it says Jesus was in the form of God. And that's a, a troubling translation for us because uh, the word form, when we think of it in English, we think of like outside appearances, right? Form is something that looks like something. But really the Greek word there is the word morphe. It's a fun word. And, and it really means like the nature of something, the substance of something, the essence of something, the thing that makes a thing what it is, the qualities that make something what it is. And so what Paul's saying here is really the strongest possible statement that anyone could say about Jesus being God. Because what he's saying is that those same qualities, those same, that same essence, the same susten- substance that makes God, God, his, his godness, Jesus has all of that. Everything that God has, Jesus has. All the characteristics, the same nature, he has the same ones as God. Now, what's even more incredible in this song is that it goes on to say that even though Jesus was God, he didn't consider that something to be grasped, something to be held on to, something to be clung to, lorded over people. Instead, he chose to empty himself. Even though he had all power, all authority, he can do whatever he wants, he chose to empty himself. And he became human. And not just any human, but a servant. And then in verse eight, not only a servant, but he emptied himself so much that even though he was God, he died. And he didn't just die, but he died on a cross. Now this is huge, right? Like this is, this is humbling. See, when Paul's writing this letter, anyone who reads this at that time knows that anyone who dies on a cross, that's the lowest of the low. The worst kind of people were crucified. The worst See, and it didn't matter what culture you grew up in that time. If you were raised in a Jewish home, you would have known uh, Deuteronomy 21, 22 that says, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Or if you grew up in a Roman home, a pagan home, you weren't even allowed to say the word cross. It was such an offensive word. You weren't even allowed to say that word. It would have been, it would have been beeped on television, right? Paul would have been censored. Cross, beep, right? Wouldn't have been allowed. Listen to what Cicero says around uh, 80 BC. This is about 100 years before Jesus is crucified. He writes this, far be the very name of a cross, not only from the body, even from the thought, the eyes, the ears of Roman citizens. So here's Cicero, a Roman citizen saying, don't even think about the word cross. That's how offensive it is. And yet here we have Paul saying, your attitude should be like that of Jesus. Your mind should be like that of Jesus who, who didn't consider quality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He poured himself out all the way to death, all the way to death on a beep, on a cross, right? Oh, that's, how, that's how radical what he's saying is. Death on a cross. And that should give us pause. 
Right? Jesus' humility should stop you in your tracks. Why? Because Jesus shows us something that's absolutely mind-blowing about the nature of God. In doing this, he shows us something mind-blowing about the nature of God. Uh, the brilliant theologian N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, the point of this text is that Jesus was indeed already equal with God. But the decision to become human and to go all the way, all the way along the road of obedience, obedience to the divine plan of salvation, yes, all the way to the cross, this decision was not a decision to stop being divine. It was a decision about what it really meant to be divine. You get that? So Jesus shows us that God, who literally can do whatever he wants, has all power, has all authority, has all control, can literally do whatever he wants, chose to become human, chose to become a servant, chose to die the most humiliating death in the history of the world. And so what does that tell us about the nature of God? It tells us that God is the God of self-giving love. That Jesus is most like, most God-like as he gives of himself, as he empties himself in love for the world. That's the truest nature of God, self-giving love. And see, when you really get that, when that really sinks in for you, that Jesus, do whatever he wants, chose to empty himself from the power that he had. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to die for you. For you. In self-giving love for you. And if that, if that really hits you, if that sinks in deep, it's outrageously humbling. Outrageously humbling. See, we get the humility of Jesus by looking at Jesus' humility for us. You get the humility of Jesus by looking at Jesus' humility for you. Right? So you get that. You, you learn to think of others better than yourself. You learn to, to consider the interests of others, not only your own interests, by looking at the humility of Jesus and saying, wow, he did that for me. And as you look to that, you, you receive his humility on the cross as an act done for you. And that's humbling. He's the example of humility and his humility is the means by which you are able to humble yourself before others. But the song doesn't just stop with Jesus' humility. It goes on. Look with me at verses nine through 11. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus humbles himself, but God exalts him. God raises him up. He exalts him to the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Jesus goes down to come up. It's astounding. Jesus humbles himself, and he's exalted. Now think about how different that is from how we operate, right? Jesus, who had equality with God, did not consider that something to be grasped. We, who do not have equality with God, are always trying to make ourselves God. Jesus, who had everything, who was something, made himself nothing. We, who bring nothing to God, are always trying to make ourselves something. And what happens then? God lets us fall to the bottom. We don't even know who we are anymore. This is how the gospel works though. You have to go down to come up. 
You go down to come up. It's only when you realize that you bring nothing to the table. It's only when you see that, that you're not good enough, that you can't prop yourself up to God, that you can't make yourself okay before God. It's, it's only when you get that, when you stop trying to save yourself, it's when you do that, that God becomes your savior. It's then when you're lifted up and made right. It's then when you're exalted because of what Jesus has done for you. You go down to come up. Humility brings about exaltation. And so that's how the Christian life works. And that's how unity in the church works. And that's how unity in your family works. That if we want a culture of unity in our church, we have to first have a culture of humility. And if you want a culture of unity in your home and in your workplace and in your life, you have to first be a humble person. You have to go down to come up. That's how it works. So a few years ago, I was uh, working at a church in Minnesota. It was a really large church. Um, they had, had 4,000 members. They had a, a multi-million dollar budget, a really nice building. So pretty much the exact situation we have here. And, um, and so, so it was, uh, but no, it was, it was, it was a great church and, and they did wonderful ministry. And, and I was really blessed to be a part of it. And I, I learned a lot while I was there. But one of the things I noticed is that the, this church really did some great ministry. Uh, but the reason this church was so great, the reason it did what it did was not done by the people who had the, the titles. And it wasn't done by the people who were at church late at night having meetings, deciding the budget and the polity and, and the governance of the church. It was people like this guy, Larry, who was a, an engineer during the day. And then every Thursday night, he ran a ministry in the basement of the church called Celebrate Recovery. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's a, a wonderful ministry that works with people who are recovering from addiction to whatever. And, and what Larry would do every Thursday night, you know, during the week, he'd invite whoever he could, anyone he ran, to, ran into in the community who needed help, who needed anything, he'd invite them to come. And it'd be about 60 people, usually in the basement of this church, or, uh, yeah, in the basement of this church, and, uh, and they'd start off their time together uh, by singing songs that were like 20, 30-year-old contemporary Christian songs, like Shout to the Lord and, you know, all those favorites. And, um, and so by a guy who could barely play the guitar. And, and so they did that. And then Larry would just get up and he'd say, hey, I'm Larry, um, I'm a grateful believer, and, and I struggle with X, Y, and Z, and he, and he shared what, what his addictions were. And it's the most humble sort of ministry. There's no lights, there's no band, there's nothing flashy to it. But I saw more people come to know Jesus in that ministry than anywhere else. I saw more people start following Jesus and become part of that church through that humble ministry than anywhere else in that whole church. So my, my prayer for us is that, that we would look to Jesus. As we do that, we would be humbled by his grace for us. We'd look to his humility, his example of humility, receive that as something for us. And then in that humility, be united. And as we're united, be led by God in our mission and pray that he brings about fruit for us. Please pray with me. Lord God, teach us to go down to come up. Teach us to humble ourselves before you. To know that when we come to you, we don't bring anything. But because of Jesus, you bring everything. You bring your grace, your forgiveness, your life. And you give it to us. We don't deserve it. Help us to humbly receive that. And in that humility, Lord, unite us as a church. Continue to help us build a culture of unity.
so that more and more people may know you and the love you have for them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.